All right. We're getting into it, guys. Our next bit of business, I want to talk to you about Mission for Mexico. Because it's happening. It's been three years, and it's happening. This is, this is a, a great picture. For those of you who can see it, that's Dallas Hutchins. She's the short one next in between Garrett and Troy. Not the little blonde one. That's her boyfriend. Um, but that's Dallas. Savannah's not in this picture. But Mission for Mexico is an incredible trip. Uh, it is an opportunity for students and adults uh, to go down to San Luis, Rio, Colorado. It's directly across the border from Yuma, Arizona. And be the hands, of feet, hands and feet of Christ, like I was just talking about. We go down this year. We sent a scouting team. Uh, we, they interviewed families. We're going to build a house for a family, a full house for a family. We're going to build an addition onto a church that we previously built because that church is thriving. And we're going to build an open-air dining pavilion kind of deal because there's a ministry that we help plant down there that's growing so much that they're feeding their entire community two to three times a month free of charge. Along with those things, we have opportunities to serve in vacation Bible school for the kiddos, women's ministry, uh, street ministry, and then just all kinds of other activities that go on throughout the week. It's an incredible opportunity for you to go for, for students and adults, high school and up, to go down to Mexico and encounter what life is like for people who are truly without. And nine times out of ten, the thing that I think strikes them the most, if you ask them, is the joy. The joy that these people have. They have less than we could ever imagine. And we're able to bless them in a way that is just so... I can't even imagine if someone was just like, here's a house. Or here, we're going to help you with you know, your church or this addition or your school or things like that. And we're able to do those incredible things for them. But you also get to see the small things, the VBS, just giving mothers a day where they can, they can take their kids to a safe place where they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to do little arts and crafts and just see that light into their eyes and their life. Mission for Mexico is a life-altering trip. I, the one thing I always say about mission trips is you go to bless. Every time you go to bless. You're going to build, you're going to serve, you're going to, but you always leave more blessed than the people that you go to serve. It changes your, your view on life, on eternity. And uh, so for those who have paid previously to go on one of the last few trips, that money is still good. Uh, for those of you who are interested, uh, for everybody, this is for everybody who has paid previously and who hasn't, registrations and deposits are due on December 15th, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is a life-changing opportunity. It is an incredible trip. If you have any questions about how you might be able to serve, how you might be able to be a part of it, uh, you know, how you know, you're not sure how you can make it work financially, talk to us. We want to figure it out. One of my ministry philosophies is always money's never going to be the reason that you get left out. So we'll get you there. We'll figure it out. But Mission for Mexico, 10 out of 10, would recommend. Again, Dallas has got dirty hands. She wasn't here first service, so I had to call her out twice. I should have got the picture of Savannah holding a giant 2 by 4 going, 
It's my favorite. Actually, I think it's on the wall. So you can go to the next picture. That is our whole troop. That is all the Powell Butte people that went on the last trip. So last trip was like 90-plus people. It'll probably be lower this year, but uh, we're still going to do incredible things. And then go ahead and go to the next slide, Malia. Uh, we're getting ready also for our winter retreat. This is another thing that we haven't done in a couple years. And I love winter retreats because I love camps. I have my T-shirt collection. I, I stepped on the toes of the decorating team, and, and I put my disgusting T-shirt collection up here, which I know you can all see, so that's great. But it's, they're from summer camps, winter retreats, other ministries. Ministry is all about partnership, and that's what this is. This is an opportunity for, for us at Palo Butte to, to team up with other churches. In this case, it's my old church in Calvary Mount Si. And we come together and we put on a weekend where students can get to know other students outside of their bubble. It can get daunting and it can bog you down when you're, when you're just in your community and you're being constantly berated for your beliefs or looked down on for your beliefs. And it starts to, to wear at you. Opportunities like winter retreats, summer camps, mission trips, youth groups, all those things are opportunities for you to meet people outside of your general sphere of influence and realize like you're not alone in your experiences. There are other people out there who are actively trying to embrace a Christian lifestyle, who are actively trying to grow in their faith. Um, so I would highly recommend that. I have all that paperwork is online at palbutchurch.com. But you can also talk to me. Cannot recommend it enough. The only reason that I'm here today is because I went to a winter retreat where I gave my life to the Lord. So if you like me, you should send your kit. <laughs> and if you don't, I get the message, guys. But you can go to the next slide, Malia. Uh, the, the theme this year is no shame. Having no shame in your past life because all of your sins are absolved by Christ and your past life is your story that is going to help you in sharing the gospel. You're present. You're not, you're no, you have no shame in your life today because you know what you're doing is the right thing. Living a life for Christ is being on the right path for the right reasons. And then not being ashamed of your future because we know where it ends. We know how the story ends. So we're not going to take any shame. So I would highly recommend that. If you have any questions about Mission for Mexico or the winter retreats, uh, please come talk to me. I have forms and information and words that I use. Today is a little scattered, and I apologize about that. We got just, just so much going on. Like it's, it's incredible that we have a church that's thriving to the point where we do have so much going on. And our youth ministry is, is one of those things. I cannot stress to you how blessed I am by our leadership by the people who, who serve alongside me on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, it, is, it is a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 4 real quick. It's not a super long chapter. And then I'm going to talk to you about why I do what I do. So we're just going to go for it. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences, consciences? 
I'm so dyslexic. Are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation of teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, you have given. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, This is a touchstone passage for youth ministry. And I think it's also an incredible incredible example of intergenerational discipleship. What I mean by that is, when you get to verse 12 and it says, let nobody despise you for your youth. I tell our students, and I've told them multiple times, and I'll tell them again, and again, and again, and again. You're not the future of the church. You are not the future of the church. You are the church. There's no age limit on being able to serve in the body of Christ. There's no age limit in saying, you have to be 18 and then the Lord can use you. I've seen more bravery in students in high schools willing to walk around with their Bible willing to pray before meals, willing to initiate Bible studies within their schools than I have in a lot of really, really mature Christians. I do what I do because when I was that sixth grader, four-foot, bright pink polo, collar popped, jean shorts. I lived in Florida. I was super cool. Four-foot, I was so, so small. I had this massive ego. I would get into fights all the time. I was like, I'm a protector. I'm a little dude, but I'll take you down. I, I just had this, this, this pride about me. When I was in seventh grade, my grandmother passed away. And my grandmother was always kind of like my rudder, my barometer, the one that always kind of, she always saw the best of me. I think grandmas are great for that. And she really, really, Loved me. Not the things that I did, but she loved me for who she saw me as and for who she saw me and what I could become. And when she passed away, I remembered thinking to myself, I don't want to be this 
prideful, ignorant little turd anymore. And instead of doing the right thing and like seeking help and trying to trying to figure out a healthy way to do anything, I decided to just go at my ego and my pride with a sledgehammer. So anytime anything good happened to me, I would think, you don't deserve that, Ethan. Anytime someone said something nice, I'd be like, they're lying. I would think constantly myself, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not tall enough. You're not athletic enough. You're not smart enough. You're not anything enough. I got to the point where I genuinely hated myself. I had no redeeming qualities. I had nothing to offer. My grandmother passed away, and then we moved from Orlando back to Seattle. I, didn't, I knew one person. But then my uncle told me about this church, which he helped plant. And I said, okay, I'll go to youth group. And I met a man there who changed my life. That man's name is Ken Grant. And Ken Grant has the single greatest mullet of all time. This is not super important to the story, but I just every time it comes up, i got to talk about it. His hair is like shoulder length plus, bleach blonde, bleach blonde. And he cuts it like he puts a laser level and then just bangs and then straight down. It is the most incredible thing I've ever experienced in my life. But Ken Grant saw me. Didn't just see me, but he would, he would see me smiling at youth group, but then he would also see that moment of honesty where I'd take a breath and my smile would fade. And he knew that that was the real me. And he would talk to me and, and ask me about things. And I'd say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I wasn't fine. I hated myself. I hated my life. I hated, I literally, I the phrase I always use is I felt like I was, every breath I took, I felt like I was stealing it from somebody else. And Ken just kept trying and trying and trying and trying. My freshman year of high school, I went to a winter retreat, and Ken Grant's son, Michael Grant, one of the other best people I've ever met in my life, one of those pillar people, you look around the church and you see, you know, the 20% that do 80% of the work. Within our ministry, Michael Grant was one of those people. He was two years older than me, Loved the Lord, served on the worship team, did tech, like just like one of those kids that you would assume like has it figured out. And we went to this winter retreat and we're sitting down, we're like supposed to talk about all the things that are going on in our lives. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, cool. I I pulled the three perfect people in the youth group and I'm going to have to sit here and be like, oh yeah, well, these are the things I struggle with. And then they told me that they were struggling with the same things. I'm here because I'm broken. I'm here not because I'm, I'm broken, but because I broke myself. And then I let the world continue to crush me into sand underneath its heels. I'm here because I genuinely did not believe that I was worthy of a life. And then Christ entered my life. Through my experiences with other people, through Ken Grant, through Michael Grant, through my Uncle Marshall, through my grandma. And I gave my life to Christ. And it wasn't easy. I felt, I felt lighter, felt like I could breathe. But life, a life lived for Christ is not easy. A life lived for Christ is a life where you're literally 
in the battlefield 24-7. And I didn't think I could handle it. I was falling away, and then another person entered my life. His name is Brock Osborne. And from the moment that I met him, and I, every time I preach, I talk about him, but I got it because he is a freaking giant. He's six, nine, six, eight, and three quarters. We've got to keep him honest. Six, eight, and three quarters. If you've ever seen Gage Welly, I don't know if he's here today. He, Gage is six, seven. He's huge. Brock's like that much taller. And he's built like a rectangle and he plays hockey. It's terrifying. But Brock took me under his wing. And I was the most obnoxious kid of all time. I asked questions, I sang songs, I always had to say something about everything. But Brock said, I love this kid. I don't always like him, but I love this kid. I'm going to take him under my wing. And he took me places. He took me to the grocery store. He, he took me with him to his hockey games. He took me to staff meetings. He let me babysit his kids when he had kids. Like He shared life with me. He said, this is what life and ministry is. This is what life lived for Christ is. He entered my life, and he rocked my world because the, the Lord worked through him. He didn't say, you know what, you got to be 18 before you can serve. you got to be this, that, or the other. He said, what are your giftings? What do you like to do? And then he helped me get plugged in. We oftentimes, this is not just to the youth. This is to everybody. We oftentimes wait and wait and wait. I feel like I might be good at X, Y, or Z, but it's just not the right time. It's just not the right time for me to get involved. It's not the right time for me to go to Mission for Mexico because my, my job may not let me, so I'm just not going to ask. Uh, it's not the right time for me to go to Mission for Mexico or to summer camps or to help out with the drive through nativity or communion because you know, it's hard with my kids. I get that. It's, it's not the right time. We're always waiting for the right time. The right time is when you're called. Something I wholeheartedly believe and will always hold to is that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I love that. I love that. The disciples were probably some of the least qualified people in the world. Fishermen, tax collectors, all, all different walks of life. And Jesus said, you are the ones on whom I'm going to rely on to build my church and to build my kingdom. There are fishermen, there are tax collectors, there are doctors, lawyers, there are teachers, there are all kinds of different professions in here. Not one of you is more or less equipped to serve the kingdom of God. Each of you has an opportunity, a skill set, a gifting to be able to give back to the kingdom. It might be as a mechanic at camp. I can't do that. We need three mechanics if you let me touch a wrench. I was not equipped to help out with baseball, but the other coaches helped me. I feel oftentimes ill-equipped for the job that I, this is probably not something that I should admit in front of people who pay my paycheck. I oftentimes feel ill-equipped for the job that I do have. I do not have a degree. I have experience. I was getting ready to go to school when the Lord said apply for jobs. I didn't get the job I applied for. I did a bunch of research on Central Oregon. It was useless. Then he said apply for this other job. 
And almost six years later, I could not be more grateful. You have an opportunity, you have a gifting, you have a skill set. You might serve within the church already. Take someone under your wing. If you're doing something, invite a student. If you're mowing the lawn, especially if you're mowing the lawn. I heard Caden likes mowing lawns. Thumbs up. I got a thumbs down last service, so Caden's your guy. If you're painting, you're doing... uh, Communion prep, you're, the nursery, we have students that serve in the nursery. Piper was up here singing. We have people that serve in all kinds of different ways. Josh and Malia that help with slides. Find a student, invite them, build a relationship. Because I would not be where I am without the wisdom of the people who came before me. With the people who have lived through the things that I've gone through. Part of the no shame thing is is no shame of the past. I have no shame in the life that I lived. I did, I did the dumb stuff. I was not a perfect person. I was a little punk. And I went through a bunch of things. I went through wanting to end my life. I went through losing more people than I can count or even recount. And I realize now that I went through those things so that I can empathize with my students. I do what I do because... They are the present and the future. You are a member of the body of Christ. I do what I do because I've been you. I do what I do because the Lord has blessed me with a heart for students. Because I believe there's five things that every person in this life is looking for. Love, hope, peace, purpose, and joy. You can find those five things in different places. There's only one place that you can find all five. And that's, with an, that's in an active and growing relationship with Christ. You might have different giftings. You might think, I'm not good at this. I promise you, every time I step up to this microphone, that is exactly what I'm thinking. Every time I'm at youth group, I think, all right, Lord, I got nothing. Please speak. The church does not exist without intergenerational discipleship. It does not exist without recognizing that everybody who walks through these doors has of unimaginable value. You matter. You matter. I matter. I matter, this is hard for me to say, I matter enough that the Lord would send his son to die for me. We, the, the church as a whole, not just Palby, but the church as a whole, there is, epidemic might be the wrong word, but there's this culture that we need to get people to accept Christ. Yes, 100, there's zero disagreement here. 100%. People need to know Jesus with all of their heart. And then, we, you know, we baptize them because it's an essential act of obedience in the walk of a Christian. Oh, baptism is, is of vital importance. But there are so many churches that get them there, and then they just stop. I do what I do because somebody cared enough about me to get me there 
and then say, we're not done yet. There is still work to be done. There are still things to be learned. There are still people to reach. I do what I do because I have a very small sphere of influence. But my very small sphere of influence affects other people's spheres of influence. I invest in students. Students invest in other students. Students invest in families. And then so on and so forth. Is that not the Great Commission? We serve missions abroad. You know, we serve in Uganda, Mexico, all over, you know, in Narnia. If you don't know what Narnia is, you can ask me later. It's, it's a code word. We serve all over this country. This, this church has people all over the world. But each of us has a mission field. My mission field are the schools are the communities, are playing dodgeball on a Wednesday and Thursday night and just getting wrecked by the Henderson girls because they have wicked cannons for arms. I get hit a lot. Everybody targets the chubby youth pastor, so I get it. I used to do it to Brock. I'm such a punk. I do what I do because I once hated myself. I do what I do because I know that my students hate themselves sometimes or struggle through things or feel lost, directionless, unloved. I do what I do because I have been all of those things and I want them to know that I love you because someone first loved me, which helped me love Christ which help me love like Christ. My challenge to you today is to read 1 Timothy. It's a great book. Chapter 4 especially. I'm somebody who does get downtrodden about the state of the world. I feel like I'm not alone on that. But I was reading this, this chapter this week and I realized nothing that we're going through is new. The world is and always has been broken. The world is and always has, since the fall, let me put that caveat in there, has been broken. People are lost. There is a North Star. There is a guiding light. There is a living Savior. There is a Holy Spirit to guide you through it. You matter. And I really, 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 really hope that you hear that. Like, you matter. You matter where you are. You matter how you are. You are so unbelievably loved. You can have love and joy and hope and peace and a purpose. It's all right here. And it doesn't, it doesn't end when you get dunked. It is an eternal pursuit. It is an eternal pursuit of saying, you know what, Lord? Today, I can choose to do the dumb stuffs. But I'm going to choose you. I can use my phone to do something stupid, or I can open up the book or my Bible app, and I can read a chapter. 
I can pray. I can worship. I can do this project on my own, but maybe there's somebody out there that I can teach to do it. Maybe there's somebody out there who wants to learn, who I can bring alongside. I do what I do because somebody took the time to invest in me. And not just tell me how things should be done, but showed me how things should be done. There's a lot that goes on. There's chaos, there's hurt, there's pain, anger, frustration. I see it every week. I, get, I, I hear it when I get the 2 a.m. calls from students saying, I don't think I can fight another day. I don't think I can go on. I don't know what to do. And I just pray with them, and I help them. And I just try and remind them whose they are. Because I, I still, from time to time, have to remind myself. I'm like everybody else. I get lost. I get downtrodden. He's always sitting there with his arms open, though. You might feel lost. You might feel broken. You might, like me, feel like you've been trampled under, your, under the heel of this world so much that you've just been crushed to a fine powder. Jesus is ready to form you back. He's ready to bring you back. You might feel like you got to the point where you gave your life to Christ, you were baptized, and then just kind of left it there like, I'm good, I'm going to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I'm telling you, there's so much more. There is so much more. You don't just have to get in by the skin of your teeth. You can run in triumphant knowing that you ran the race with endurance and that you affected the lives of countless people because you just lived a life that reflected Christ. And a life that reflects Christ is a life that changes the world. It might be one person's world, but I promise you this. If that one person was the only sinner on the planet, Jesus still would have come to die for that sinner. So I don't know where that leaves us. I love it. I love it. I don't know where that leaves us. Maybe, maybe you need to accept Jesus today. Don't wait. There is no right time. The right time is now. You know, we're not promised tomorrow by any means. I promise you that. We are not promised tomorrow. We're barely promised this afternoon. Maybe, maybe you gave your life to Christ and you said, you know what, I kind of got there and just petered out. Maybe you need to find a place to serve. Maybe you find a community to plug into. Maybe you're just broken and you just need someone to talk with. We're here for you. I'm going to pray for us and the worship team can come on up. Yeah, one more song, right? I forgot last service, so I don't. I want to make sure. I'm going to pray for us. Um, we're going to, we are going to take down chairs this week. We have Awana. Um, but know that, I'm going to say it again, you matter. If this is your first time here, if this year's your 300th time here, I'm not going to do that math. Like six years. It's about as long as I've been here. We care about you. 
You are loved. You are valued and you are chosen. Scripture says it from Genesis to Revelation. Christ exists in every book. And the Christ of the Bible is living. He lives and his spirit dwells among us. And I pray that you feel it. If there's any tug on your heart at all, don't wait. Don't think you have to get right before you come to Christ. You come to Christ to get right. The, the church is not, this is one of my favorite sayings, the church is not a country club for the perfect. It is a hospital for the broken. I am broken. But he fixes. He restores better than the original. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for all that you are, all that you do. I want to thank you for your son and your spirit that change hearts, change lives, and change eternities. I want to pray for each person in this room right now. Lord, whatever they're feeling, whatever is pulling them, whatever is, is driving them, whatever, wherever they're going, I pray that they would be sensitive to your calling. Father, they would be sensitive to your calling and just answer it. I don't know where I'd be if I had just waited. I tried that time and time again, and it always just didn't lead me where I needed to be. Lord, I pray for leaps of faith that they would be taken boldly. I pray that eternities would be affected. I pray that hearts would be changed. Lord, you are so good. You are beautiful and wonderful. Whatever, whatever needs done, I know that you will. May we be faithful in carrying out your commands and living a life that glorifies you and reflects you. May we live out your word and be sticking to the truth. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen.